Let's give that to the Lord. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. You may return to your seats and be seated. And I would like to thank right now uh, Pastor and Sister Lee, Tabernacle of Joy, Pastor and Sister Cargando, and all of our friends who came from Australia, the Butchers, the Caltabianos, just met the Daniels, excuse me, the Gabriels. <laughs> so happy to meet them. Brother and Sister Hickola, I don't see them this morning, but such a pleasure to meet you and to be with you. Uh, I won't try to name names. Brother and Sister Hunley, of course, we're so honored to be with you. Glad you could be here. <clears throat> and uh, our Caltabianos, did I say the Caltabianos? I was doing A, B, C, D. So thankful to be in the house of the Lord. And uh, we heard from the Lord last night about what is reasonable. And it will change our view because really what Brother Hundley was saying is we are going to have to adapt to the Bible, not the other way around. We're going to have to adapt what we think, what we feel, our actions, regardless of how we were raised or into what culture we were born. We are going to have to line up. That's difficult. And I want to talk to you this morning <clears throat> about becoming one. We know that the first example of that is in the Old Testament when Adam and Eve became one flesh. Then Paul later refers to the mystery of becoming one, not in reference to marriage, but in reference to Christ and the church because Paul wasn't married. He said, though, that marriage is the template for becoming one. Now, I double-checked several times, and it simply says one flesh. They become one flesh. What I'm proposing to you is that the Bible has something bigger in mind because we are supposed to be the bride of Christ. I want desperately to be a part of this becoming one. I see it. I want to be a part of it, but we also pastor a flock of sheep. And so my vision is very broad, very global, and not in the sense of the world, but I see big. But to make that happen at the local level, at the individual level, is going to take something that's difficult, and we are going to need to be connected to the Spirit. So I am certain that anything I have said today, you have heard before. I don't bring anything new. I'm just going to give you what the Lord said, because I believe it is for such a time as this. I would also like to say personally what a joy it is to see so many of you from my last visit here with children. <laughs> Lots of children. That is wonderful. I am just rejoicing. They're everywhere. <laughs> I can't keep them straight. I recognize faces, and many of you were in the hyphen group when I was here last time, and uh, not anymore. You've joined the troops, and, 
and I, and I could say congratulations and condolences. Your childhood is over, officially. You can't be the baby anymore. You gotta grow up. You've got little ones, and how wonderful that is. Thank you to the musicians, to the technicians, to the worshipers, to all of you who have put so much time and effort from the registration at the door to the drums. Where is my Jabez? Oh, young man, you are not a child anymore. I hugged him and I said, Jabez, I have a picture of us. I am going to give that to you. I could have asked him to put it up, but I won't. It was at the airport. It was in 2013. You probably don't remember it, but I have the proof. <laughs> you are not that little boy anymore. Wonderful. Wonderful to see growth. They're growing up. We're growing older. This is the way things are. And we are wearing the years while they're coming into their prime. We have more life behind us than ahead of us. So hear me. It is imperative that we get this. It is imperative that we step across the threshold of what's uncomfortable to embrace what is revelatory. So it's going to cost all of us something. It always does. But we'll start with my text, John 10 and 30. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. Which is why the, the marital concept we have to lay aside for a minute because when we see becoming one, we just think of it in the flesh. But there is a way to become one that does not involve a fleshly relationship. And yet, we are in the flesh. So we have to figure out how to make this a reality as we are. Everyone say amen. amen. Okay, so let me give you the background for what I'm going to say. And then in John, you d I didn't give you these scriptures, so relax. Relax, all of you who are in the back following me. God bless you. John 13, and you can go there in your Bibles. I'm going to two chapters, and you can write these verses down if you choose. You can just follow along. I'll try to be deliberate and succinct. We'll see how far I get with that. John 13, 34, and 35 gives us the template for what he's going to do, what he's going to do in the epistles. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, now, I want to see signs and wonders just like you do. But the Bible never said that the world would know we were his by outrageous signs. The world is not impressed with neon displays. They can make it happen. They're tricksters. What's more authentic to them is the way people treat each other. Well, that's not very appealing now, is it? Because it would be easier to say, you will know that I'm a disciple of Jesus when I walk up, lay my hands on your dead body, and you come back. And yet, Jesus did not emphasize that. He said an evil generation is looking for that kind of display, and they're not going to get it. But he said the people who are really mine... They connect to each other. 
They really connect. Now, this is difficult because he said, that's how everybody's going to know you're with me because of the way you treat one another. Then in 15, chapter 15, if you're going with me there, John 15, verses 7 and 12, he repeats it again. He reiterates it. And I think this is important because John is a little bit different than the other gospels. It's quite a bit different, actually. I think Matthew, Mark, and Luke are kind of cohesive, but John takes a completely different bent. The relational aspects, this long prayer Jesus does before he goes to the crucifixion, okay? That's different. And he says in 7, these things I command you. I command you to love. Well, in the Old Testament, they were commanded to love, and how did that work? Okay, so we're taught, it's verse 17, I'm sorry. So I should have started with 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. He said, I showed you how. Now you go do to each other what I did for you. And then 17, these things I command you. Again, what was his commandment? That you love one another. Well, <clears throat> and then John 17, 11. Let's go there. Here's here's. This lengthy prayer, part of, part of the prayer. And this is how important it was to Jesus. Last words. Last words before the crucifixion. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. He's saying, I'm, I'm going to leave. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep through your own name those whom thou hast given me. And here it comes that they may be one as we are. It just sounds so good, doesn't it? It just, and it kind of sounds a little bit like blah, 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 blah. Yes, wait, there's more. <laughs> if your eyes glazed over at that, wait till we go to Ephesians. You are really going to glaze over. Because we've heard this before. We hear it and we sit there and it bounces off of us because we don't know how to apply it. And I have set myself a task. But we'll break it down. I have three shots at you. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, and that sounded adversarial, but with all the love in my heart. Just view me as Cupid with a bow. Okay. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, this is what I think we're working on because I do think we are the last people before the coming of the Lord. So for him to do this, I would say, since I know that in Romans, creation is groaning for this to happen. Sounds like a birth. Sounds like a travail. I'm thinking that the last few weeks of this pregnancy, the earth ripe with sons of God, that there's going to have to be something done quickly. And I think I'm with a quick crew. I think I'm with some pretty quickened people who can catch things quickly. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, it is lengthy. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family... I love that pointer sister song. I have been known to sanctify it and sing it. We are 
family. Hey, 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 y'all. I got all my people with me. Jabez, are you with that? Can we throw that down later? I thought we might. I just sanctify all kinds of things. I was a high school teacher. You got to do what you got to do to hold attention. I am actually looking at the back row while I speak. I watch that back row a lot. That's how I judge whether or not you've sat too long. Okay. Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now, did you know you had a family in heaven? I didn't. I know that we have people that have gone on before, but clearly the concept of family is not limited to the earth. Us four are no more. There's a family in heaven and a family in earth. So the concept of family transcends. It's going it's to leave the earth. Lots of things won't, but that will. We got to get that. Say, I want to get it. I know you do. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Now, now that he just said that, this would not be the next thing I would say. But he said, if you're going with me where we're going, you are going to need to be strengthened. Why would I need strength to be a family? Oh, ask a dad who's been up at 2 o'clock in the morning for several hours. He said, I want you to be strengthened with might, not by your willpower. I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it. I can't get it by wanting. He said, I'm going to need the might of the spirit where? In the inner man. So no amount of physical strength will make this transformation. It is going to have to be inward for one reason. So I'm going to have to have strength. This tells me, now that I've been picking through it, that I'm not going to like the process of getting there. If I'm going to need that much strength, then I'm not going to like what I'm going to go through to get to the end result. Well, that's a novel idea. What did Jesus say? If you're going to come after me, what are you going to have to do? Deny yourself. Deny yourself. Deny yourself. Deny yourself. Deny yourself. That's cross-cultural, transcultural. It doesn't matter. Everybody's going to have to deny push back from what I want. Then he said, you're going to have to take up not your bed roll, not your ramen noodle. You're going to have to take up your cross. That's very important. That is a weight on your shoulder that is ordained. I have mentioned while I have been in Australia that I have tried to figure a way to turn mine into something useful. Toothpicks for thousands. <laughs> have cross, have a toothpick. I want to get rid of it. That's the point. It's the weight that never quite leaves. He said, deny yourself, take up your cross, how often? Daily. Say that again? Daily. That's reasonable.
That's reasonable. And he said, follow me. Okay. This is great saying these things in this conference, but I'm going to go home. And there will be no conference, no lights, no camera, no action. Well, there will be a lot of action. But that's the application of the revelation in my daily life where I really live in Malaysia, in Australia, in Canada, in Missouri, in Ohio, in Sierra Leone, and Brunei. That's where I'm going to have to make this real. Now, I really do want to sing We Are Family. Okay. The reason I'm going to go through all this strengthening is that Christ, I want Christ to dwell. That's not a one-night stand. That is a daily presence. I'm going to have to have strength inside me so I won't kick him out and say, okay, I've had enough of this. You're just too challenging a border. I really didn't mean for you to move in and change the furniture. I, I thought we would have fellowship. I like the idea of, of, of revelation. You knock on the door, I let you come in, we have supper. But this thing here you're doing to me, not so much. We're arguing with one another. And, and I'm arguing with you. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to reason with you, and you're telling me what's reasonable, and I don't like it. Okay? He said, I want him to dwell in your hearts by faith. you got to believe. Now there's more. Why do I need Christ in my heart? So that I can be what? Rooted and grounded in love. Now this suggests conception, seed, roots, growth, down, deep, dark, ouch. Are you seeing that? Rooted and grounded in what? In dirt, in detrius, in breaking down. He said, you are going to need everything I just said in Ephesians so that you can get to the L-O-V-E. Well, now, you already know God is love. So this is not a cheap experience. It's going to take a lot to become one. Okay? I'll just ask you that are married to consider what it takes to be married. Okay, time's up. Those of you who are single, you said, I've never been married. Yes, you are. You are married to a church to a pastoral team, and you know how difficult it is to navigate that being single. Well, please understand, it's just that difficult to be married to someone else. You say, I go home alone. Yes, you do. You need to be thankful. <laughs> there are days when married people wish they were going home alone, too. See, you don't know that. That's because everybody else is looking at everyone else saying, if I were you. <laughs> yes, if you were me, you'd still be who you are. So just get over it. All right. <laughs> he, 
He said, I want you to be rooted and grounded in love. It's going to take that now so that we can get to the next step. So we can comprehend with everybody else. My Lord, we can't even get along with two of us. So we can comprehend, and, and I wish Brother Gavin was here. He is my introverted, very brilliant pastoral friend who I used as my role model to show what breadth looks like. Breadth and length. I threw in width in there and went in there. I didn't really need that. Go figure. Breadth, length, depth, and height. How many dimensions is that? Four dimensions. And my husband, I said, what, draw me something four-dimensional. And he said, Jan, there's no such thing. The fourth dimension is time. And I was like, oh, man, I'm feeling psychedelic right now. The fourth dimension is time. I do know who goes to the fourth dimension. Just let me tell you what he said. This blows my mind. Surely goodness and mercy shall. How is it possible that God can dip back into my past and change what I did into goodness and mercy? That is love in the fourth dimension. Raise your hands right now. God, open our minds. Let us see and feel and hear and know. Only you. Oh. He said, if you just keep walking with me, I'm going to dip back in time for you and convert what you determined to be failure, sorrow, devastation. When I saw that, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. And Ecclesiastes says it's so important. God requires the things that are past. So even though I don't want to go there, he makes us go there because he's the cleanup crew. And if you stay in him, he translates stuff. I don't know if that made sense, but I love it. I'm holding on to it. He said, you're going to need to be rooted and grounded so you can do the measuring thing. To know the love of Christ and don't even worry about studying it because it passes knowledge, which is the cheapest level of understanding. Knowledge is transferred by books, searches, words. That's just a layer. It's very superficial. You'll never know it that way. You can look up love, L-O-V-E, the definition. You have to experience it. You cannot know it any other way but to become intimate with it. He said, now I want you to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Now we've gotten to that step. Why do I need to do that? So that you can be filled with the fullness of God. Oh, Lord, I thought I had everything when I got the Holy Ghost. Evidently not. It's a beginning point. It's a conception. It's like sperm and egg, but you're not fully fleshed out. He said, you must go through these steps to grow, to become, to be. 
And now that I am breathless with doubt and anxiety, verse 20, now unto him. I cannot do this. I cannot do it. I cannot do it. I cannot do it. Who is able to do exceedingly. <laughs> oh, God, I see it, but I don't know how to do it. I've seen pictures of a fetus in different stages of development. I don't even know where I am, but I pray I don't run out of life before you make my change. I want it. I do not want to be a halfling mutated part human, part Jesus out in the wilderness because I didn't have enough strength to make the change. I want God to change me so I can comprehend the breadth, the depth, the length, the height with all saints. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands right now. Thank you, Jesus. He said he can do exceeding. Now that's an adverb. It describes to what extent. And the next word is also an adverb. Abundantly. And they're both describing do. How is God going to do? Abundantly. How abundantly? Exceeding. That means going way beyond. Well, abundant is already exceeding. But when you say exceeding abundantly, you are talking about the next description. Above all, we ask or think. I'm telling you, I laid that thought out to you. But God is able to go beyond even what I understand of that scripture. I want you to stand to your feet right now and give God the glory for touching your mind to ask for things and to think for things because God wants to go beyond it. He wants to go beyond it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I cannot do it, but if I can ask it and I can think it, God can go beyond it. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Now, per always, there's a little follow-up. His power is measured according to mine. According to the power. This is why I let it rip. People think I'm a lunatic. They have no earthly idea. I have to let that power work in me because I see Ephesians. I don't care what people think about me. I see something else. I know that when those flame bursts happen in me, when that thing explodes in me, that creation is taking place on a different level. I cannot perceive it, but it's like a baby that suddenly gets a dose of a steroid, of a hormone. Bam! And suddenly, where there were nothing, there are little eye buds. Bam! Suddenly, that heart is growing and beating faster. Bam! 
suddenly in the fullness of time. If you are going to be part of the fullness of God, you are going to have to be part of the suddenly moments and not be afraid to let it explode in your faith, in your worship, in your mind, in your practice, in your spirit. It's part of becoming one. I want you to close your eyes and put your hand on your head and say, God, open my mind. I want you to talk to the Lord for a minute here. Hallelujah. That power, that power has to work in us. Wow. It's a big vision. It's about more than I can stand because I look at how we get along at home. I don't measure my spirituality by church services. I go home with the man of God and I ask myself how my Jesus thing is working between us and our grown children and my little grandchildren. That's where real is for me. I can put my hair in a bun and look pretty for you every church service, but where I really live is my Merrill hiking boots, <laughs> my jean skirt, a sweatshirt or a tee, and my hair in a Mulan. That means piled up on my head with a stick in it because I am homeschooling two grandchildren and hauling a baby around. Now that's where becoming one gets real. That's where it's real. That's where it's real. When I get up and there are three loads of laundry to do and it's a kitchen full of dishes. Now I'm talking about the power working in me. Not talking in tongues in the front when the music's hot. Anybody can do that. Church is my disco. <laughs> Church is my bar. I get it here. I never did any of that stuff out in the world. I do it all at church, everything. Drunk, nasty, all of it. That's me in church. Hey. That's right. I can rip that hair down, Australia knows. Set them back 20 years. They're like, oh my God. What are they bringing us from America? Yo! She doesn't look like it. What's wrong with her? And I found out what I got less than 1% Ivory Coast, Ghana, Nigeria. Hey, can you see it? I didn't think so. One of those checks was Islander. I don't know. You know what that means? I know you. Human. Race. Connected. But I see this. I want this. What I see in reality is very far from this. I didn't make this up, though. This sounds like something I'd make up, but I didn't. I'm getting juiced because of this. This is what I've been looking for all my life.
becoming one, for real one, not pretend one, not I like you today and I don't like you tomorrow. So here we go. Now that you see what I want, how do we get it? I thought you'd never ask. And thank you for asking. I intend to tell you. 1 John 1, 5 through 7. I hate this. I don't like any of it. This is bitter for me because I'm strong-willed. You have no idea how strong-willed I am. And my enemy is not the people in my church. My enemy is the woman that lives between my ears. Sometimes I pray for her in the third person. Oh, I do. I say, Jesus, Janice is behaving badly today. I'm asking you to forgive her. She's temporarily insane. She needs help. Holy Ghost, overlook this behavior. And please forgive her because she is failing abysmally. And always, of course. So let me get into this because you didn't come to hear about me. And I'm so time conscious right now. I feel rooted in this floor because I know our precious brother Hanley I want to give you time. You would say that. Thank you, son. Thank you. I said I'm old enough to be his mother. That's right. And it dawned on me I'm one of the oldest people in the room. This is difficult for me. I just can barely stand it. So that's when we need to rock. And I'm just okay. First John 1, 5 through 7. Did I also mention that I have ADHD? No, that's a lie. That was a self-diagnosis. Let me just say that I understand Robin Williams more than you will ever know. Okay. First John 1, 5 through 7. So here we go. Is it Jesus I so wanted? I know you do, Janice. Are you willing to drink the cup? Jesus set it in front of me. Okay. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare to you. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I don't, I don't know at what point, because I'm ignorant. Sister Hickle, I see you. I see you now. I feel like Avatar. I see you. Probably shouldn't have said that. Does a baby have, a, have blood from the beginning? She's a medical doctor. She's not in her head. Wow. Wow. I figured it, but I just wanted to make sure I make that leap. Of faith from inception, there's blood. Look at me. I haven't arrived here. But because I keep going through the steps again and again and again, I have a blood flow. 
And if I can just keep that blood flowing, it'll cleanse all the stuff that I'm doing and is being done to me. Because I want Ephesians. Desperately, I want it. I want to be part of that. I can't ask God to let me see it. I've already seen it. Someone's going to do it. Somebody's going to go through all this and they're going to do it. They're going to be it because it was spoken. So it's got to happen like let there be light, right? He said, if you just keep walking in light and you say, oh, that's easy. Well, not really because I was born in the dark. David said, I was born in sin and shaped in iniquity. My nature is not light. I have a very cynical, skeptical, untrusting nature. And I am being asked to lay my nature aside because I trust God and trust other people. <gasps> Ain't going to happen. except I want to be one. So I said, how, Jesus, I see it. How do we do it without utterly destroying one another? I am afraid. That's the bottom line. Fear. Fear is not in love, which already tells me when I am afraid, I have left the light. Because when Adam and Eve messed up, the first thing they did was hide. Because they weren't in the light anymore, they could see things they had never seen before. There's nothing like that moment when you have been so trusting And suddenly somebody or something introduces you to a dark side you didn't know existed. And the Bible said the reason why people don't come to light is because they don't want their deeds exposed. They don't want their inner workings. I, I, it's almost like a, I don't know how to say this, so I'll just struggle to get to it. Always Jesus was out here. I remember at a point in my mature life with God when I recognized there was something inside of me living that was challenging Janice in a way that my parents never could. The people from the outside could never challenge. And then I remember the moment when I recognized that there was some presence that was always behind me it was overshadowing me always with me listening watching it wasn't like a paranoia thing it was like you're really real and you 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 are okay I I turn around and I'm like here I am Jesus which is why I could do what Paul did Paul said I don't judge myself anymore I cannot that's like the fox in the hen house I just go every day and I go okay look What have I done? It's the price. If you are not willing to self-examine, you can't. It's not possible. It's not physically possible. It's like saying, I want to birth a child, but I want to be intimate with anybody. 
So people are doing the surrogate thing. I'm telling you, this is not going to work by surrogate. We are going to have to become one. Somebody's going to do it. It's going to cost you your fear. It's going to cost you your insecurity, your vulnerability, your terror of rejection. All of those things are going to have to be exposed if you want to become one. Because it's not physically possible to unless you are willing to let light hit the way you think. When nobody knows what you're thinking. The way you feel, that's reasonable. It's getting very quiet suddenly. I know. Self-examination will lead you. Okay, okay, I'm fixing to get all over something. You know when he said he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists? Do you know that those positions primarily are occupied by people whose frame allows them to say words, God words? Some, it's not the apostle you're after. It's the words coming out of their mouth. It's apostolic words. And the way we respond to those words either cuts off our growth or enables it. So under the care of a pastor, we are exposed to shots, five-fold shots. Uh, not this kind, although. It's an injection of something we didn't have and we need. And most of us want to justify acceptance or rejection on the basis of, of who's doing the talking. When it's not who at all, it's what's being said. Apostolic words are short, curt, commanding, directive, immediate, as in soldier. Stop, run, ready, aim, fire. If we cannot respond to that kind of instruction under the covering of a pastor, you don't go look for it. But if you're in a local church, and it's got to be local because Ephesians said the family in heaven and earth, a church is a family. So I don't go grazing in other people's fields and flocks and folds anymore that I leave my own family to go find a different husband and then come back to the one I left. This is chaos. Prophetic words are words that are drawn from our personal experiences. God speaks to our lives by prophetically opening our eyes to where we are and where we're going. It can mean foretelling, but it also is used to describe where people are at the moment so that they have hope they won't always be there or that a victory is coming. This is a prophetic utterance. And the way we respond to those words determines whether or not our faith will continue on through the valley of the shadow of death until we fear no evil 
Israel because we see a rod and a staff that comforts. Then there's an evangelistic word when you feel like you've just about given out and you're tired of the process of examination and calculation and search me, Lord. And then a word comes that's a refreshing and a renewing and an anointing. And then there is a pastoral word, the daily, weekly, this is what we need. This is where we are, boots on the ground. I'd like to say the pastor and the teacher are the GPs, the general practitioners. And occasionally the Lord sends by, and a pastor can operate like an apostle. A pastor can also speak words that are prophetic and evangelistic. He can do all of it. It's not one person. It's a flow of information, the injection of what we need toward becoming he said in Ephesians, I sent this ministry to you for the edifying of the body of Christ, for the work of the ministry, till we all come. Are you with me? So the blood cleanses us as we move toward the maturity that I think will prompt the sound of the trumpet. I think God already has a predetermined time when the injection of truth, the knowledge, the love, when your passion meets your understanding and suddenly there's an explosion of inner growth individually and then because it's happening individually, it begins to happen corporately. I think that will trigger the trumpet that announces the return of our bridegroom. Verse 8 of John, 1 John 1. If we say we have no sin. Now, it's interesting that he uses the word to have sin versus being a sinner or doing sin. He's He's addressing it as if we possess it for a time. I just think all we have to do is step out of the light. That's it. I think our nature comes in full force in the absence of light. Because darkness is the absence of light. My nature without Jesus is the absence of Jesus. And we see that. He said, we deceive ourselves... So that means one of the tests of our willingness to become one is to acknowledge the possibility of self-deception. He said, we deceive ourselves and truth isn't in us. We have sin and truth is not in us anymore. Now, if that just drags you to the ground, nine redeems us all. If we confess our sins. We confess, I stepped into the dark over here. I slid back. I said something. I did something. I thought something because Jesus said, your thoughts are just as important as your actions. If we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us and 
He does not stop at I forgive you because there's residue left when we revert. There is a residue left when we revert. He said he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The first part says if we walk in the light, we have fellowship and his blood is constantly cleansing. The next verses say that when we slide back, that that same blood is accessed through asking for forgiveness, confession, forgiveness, cleansing from unrighteousness. And then verse 10 yanks us back to the reality so that none of us play the justification game. If we say that we have not sinned, now here comes, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. There's no place to become one without self-examination. 2 Corinthians 10 and 5, I want you to go there, please. I'm human, and I'm going to tell you how I feel about some things. I'll speak as a human, and then I'll step back into the, the role I'm supposed to play of teachers. This is what I feel. Your wrong action justifies my wrong response. You did wrong to me. I have a right to respond the way you did me, except that's not reasonable. We heard it. It doesn't matter who it is. Pastors are people too. We get our feelings hurt just like everybody else. The opportunity to be bitter is always present. The opportunity to remain offended. And people justify it. We people justify our offense on the base of the wrong done to us. The Bible will not excuse it. Because he said, you knew how to get clean and be restored. Cain hated his brother because God accepted Abel and he didn't accept Cain. And Cain could have justified and did, in fact, justify what he did. And I feel like at some moment, if Cain would have said, God, I am so sorry for what I did there would have been a turning point. God didn't have to mark him. He was marked already because he had no remorse. It separated him from everyone because he would not acknowledge he did wrong. It is so easy to be wronged and then to be offended. And then when God comes and says, why are you offended? I gave you tools. I told you that you were going to be persecuted. I told you that you were going to be misunderstood. And besides, I am God and it is my right to correct you, to instruct you, to challenge you. And all of us do what Peter did when he went and said, you're going to go places you don't want to go when you're old.
And somebody's going to take you over when you're old and you're not going to like it. I'm going to tell you right now, if you follow me, this is what's going to happen to you. And immediately he tried to deflect the attention of God on him and his response to the future by saying, what about him? Easy to be courageous in a crowd. When the Lord begins to challenge us, you say, why would I put myself through that? Why? Why would I ever do that? Why would I continue day after day to deny myself and take up that cross? You're not doing it for nothing. There's going to be a moment there of singularity. That's what they call it. When all the world systems come into one, you know what they're talking about? They are mimicking what's about to happen spiritually when you and I lay down our offenses we lay down our excuses our bitterness and go God whatever you want and right now your reasoning mind is sketching out the drama you have endured all the details of the pain suffered. I want you to listen to me. This is precisely why Jesus allowed himself to be abused. Because you would be. He allowed himself. Permitted people to do all kinds of heinous things to him. So that when you came with your story. And I'd like to tell you, I'd like to tell you that after you get the Holy Ghost and after you grow up and after you lead a church or get involved in a ministry that the pain ends. But I'm so sorry it doesn't because we are human. We move in and out of the presence of God. We move in and out of the understanding. And some days, some days that cross you've been hauling around, some days the Lord lets somebody crucify you on it. I don't read anywhere that the Lord looked at the Roman centurion and said, why are you doing this to me? Someone's got to take the right hand and put a spike in it. Somebody's got to take the left hand. It could be your job. It could be your boss. God forbid it can even be your children. And they never know what they're doing to you ever, 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 ever. They're not supposed to. When Jesus came back from the resurrection, he never went to those people and said, you don't know what your whipping cost me. He never went to the centurion, but I'm going to tell you when he died that centurion said that must have been he's the only one that didn't cuss me out he's the only one that didn't hurl insults at me he hung there and in his very death Jesus testified you can become one with me Jesus, just don't get in my head. I have a little secret life that I'm living. 
And you know what 1 Corinthians 10 and 5 says. He said, it's important that you do this. I want to get in your imaginations. That's the most godlike part of you. You can image things. You can image all kinds of things. He said, I want you to cast down what you've imaged. The Lord has had to deal with me about some of the images I have had about what success is and beauty and what my children should be. We would scream if we saw somebody take their child and put them in the arms of a molten God that is hollow, that has had a fire lit and watch them roast their own baby. We would scream. We would take that person. We would yank them up. But because of our images, we have made sometimes enormous sacrifices at the expense of our own children. Some of you have been sacrificed to images. Your feelings weren't considered. Your heart wasn't noticed. Nobody saw the tear trickle down your cheek when you were roughly treated by a mom and a dad that should have loved you and cherished you and nurtured you and nourished you. And so the church has become surrogate mama, daddy, because you were wounded and bruised by people that birthed you. The Lord has to address all of this. All of it's got to be fixed. I feel a healing in the house. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We're just going to stop for a moment. Precious Lord Jesus, my refuge and my shelter. With all my heart, I want to be one with somebody. I want to be one with that Ephesian group. I want to be part of that. I've had to lay down fear and anxiety and worrying about rejection and sometimes I have tried to bond with the wrong crew and and that wasn't it I feel like that little duck wandering around are you my mother are you my mother are you my are you my brother are you are you a safe place have you gone through did you wash did you cleanse are you giving the appearance of filled with love are you the real deal and we stand here in your holy presence right now. God, I know we're going to have to cast down imaginations and hide things and take our thoughts in hand because sometimes we build a case against each other just based on an imagination. We draw conclusions that are so untrue and then you correct us and we don't want to bring them to the light because we want to maintain our grudge and our unforgiveness and our whatever we got going on. Oh my God, get into us today. There's only one response, only one response to this kind of a sermon, to this kind of a teaching. I want a strong mic. If this is the one, then put me. And I, I, I'm offering this altar 
If you feel like you can come, and if not, you can stay at your seat. Confession. I'm telling you, Jesus had to teach me that. I felt whipped. Janice, you have hatred in your heart. You have hatred. But they did me wrong. Set me up. You know what I want. The only thing I have done in those instances is to stop saying, What about him? And presented myself a living sacrifice. I am not worthy. I said, Lord, I am full of stuff. My thoughts aren't right. My imaginations aren't right. I want to be real. I don't want to look like what Brother Hanley said. I want to be you from the inside, just like a baby born from inside its mother's womb. I want guts of love. I want you to form my intestines. I want to be the real thing. <laughs> and once I confess me that I'm a mess, the Lord begins talking to me about boundaries around my mind and around my actions. And then, as I am being forgiven, I ask him to forgive the others who also did wrong. I don't have the power to forgive. I'm not God. But I can intercede for people who have done me wrong and say, Lord, will you forgive them too, just like you forgave me? He said, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Well, let me tell you how far Jesus obeyed. He obeyed to the nailing, to the whipping, to the beating, to the bruising. He obeyed. If I'm going to partake of his holiness, I have to be scrupulously clean. 
And no amount of self-flagellation, self-beating, self-punishment will make me clean. Only the blood. Only the blood. Only the blood. You see, until you open yourself up to the healing, you cannot open yourself up to the love. Everybody wants the love, but there's a price. me you raise me up. 
If you feel comfortable, I, I, I would just like you to find someone. If you're single, men with men, please, women with women. I just want you to lay your hand on their shoulder. I don't think anybody here is professing to have reached perfection. I am not. But I want it. And by perfection, I do not mean the world's definition of perfection. I want to grow up to what Jesus is. We're going to just feel compassion for one another because that person you're touching right now is in the same boat you're in. Battling fear and anxiety and hurt and these things get in the way of us becoming little hands and little feet. We're just going to pray for each other right now.
But in three 